We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. All right, so for those of you who want the update on my middle school wrestling team I've been coaching, which I know is zero of you, we just had sectionals yesterday, and so that was the last thing I was coaching them through. Uh, And I took six kids there because I only had a team of 10, and four of them could not be there. And so six kids to the tournament, and one of them took fourth place, two of them took first place, which was pretty cool. Um, because considering last year, none of them placed in anything at all. And so that was really fun and exciting for me. But before we went to that tournament, I had a very similar conversation with them that Helica was describing she's been having with her daughter. Uh, I shared with them the story about how I failed to win my last match my senior year in high school at State and just completely felt defeated. And my coach said these words to me, and I'm giving you the short version today because some of you have heard, many of you have heard that story before of how, hey, I love you for who you are, not for what you do. And so I preemptively had that conversation with my middle schoolers. I shared the whole story with them of that, and I said, I want you to know I am so proud of each and every one of you already, no matter how you perform on Saturday. And not because you're good wrestlers, but because of how you have grown as people and how you have shown up here and you've continued to work through hard things. And it's just been a delight to get to know each of you for who you are and for who you've been created to be. And I had to kind of stop it short right there because it's a public school. But um, I don't know if that hit them yet or not. And, And I hope one day in the same way that my coach's words hit me years later, and I started to understand what he meant. Hopefully that'll happen for them as well. But I do apologize for continuing to share a lot of wrestling stories. It's just what I've been immersed in, right? It's wrestling season. And so it just, it's over now and you're going to get some other stories from now on. But that's the reality of it is like when, when it is that season, I'm in it, right? I'm soaked in it. I'm marinated in it. I'm immersed into it. It's like everything uh, I'm thinking about somehow (laughs) ties back to that. And that is what baptism is. That word, uh, many of you have heard me say this before, a lot of times that word is actually a transliteration, not a translation. What that means is we took the, the English versions of the Greek spelling of this word, baptizo. And we just left it as baptize or baptism. And we we didn't actually translate. What does that mean in our language? And in our language, it literally means to be immersed in, to be enveloped in, covered in. And I think when we start talking about baptism and many of us get just this picture of like getting dunked in water or maybe having water sprinkled on us, or maybe many of us get this other picture of something otherworldly and mystical that maybe we aren't seeing exactly what was happening, that what happens in this story of Jesus' own baptism is a story of an invitation for us to be immersed into a new identity. And this past week, I had somebody uh, call me, not part of Missio, uh, who just had some questions around baptism and specifically around some confusing things like in Acts There's a couple stories that talk about people who maybe seem to be believers, but didn't yet have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what in the world 
does that mean, right? Uh, and so in Acts uh, 19, you get a story of people who follow John, the baptizer, but they had not yet been baptized in the name of Jesus. And when they do, they are also, they receive the Holy Spirit. They're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, but in Acts 8, there's another story of people who, it says they were, had only been baptized in the name of Jesus alone. And so they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And so the, this conversation, uh, understandably, it was very confusing for this person. Like, so what is this baptism of the Holy Spirit? Is it a separate thing than the immersion into Jesus? And what does that look like? And, and how does it happen? If we baptize people in Jesus in water, like how do we baptize people in the Holy Spirit? And it, it, it can be confusing. And so I want us to really hopefully, by God's grace, see what truly is taking place when Jesus himself goes down and steps his first toe into the water of the Jordan River. And when he gets there and has this conversation with John, who would have been a relative, some type of distant cousin to him, someone maybe they, they saw each other growing up in everyday life, who then says to him, why would you come be baptized by me? I need to be cleansed and washed by you. John has this understanding that this Jesus, his own relative, is someone very different and unique from the rest of those human beings who had been coming down into the Jordan River to be washed by him. This is someone greater than me, he says. Right before that, what we read last week, someone greater than me is coming. I baptize you in water, but he baptizes you in spirit and fire. Again, another confusing verse, right? So, so one, we're, we're told right there, Jesus, he, he comes to baptize us in the spirit. Uh, and then we, we go, what's the fire thing about, right? And there's, there's two kind of options here. One is, you know, on the day when Jesus's disciples, after he had ascended back to heaven, the day that we call Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes over them. And it says that it looked like there were flames right above each of their heads. Like maybe, maybe that's what we're talking about, right? Like that this this baptism of the spirit is like so consuming like a fire. But if we actually look at the context, it seems like maybe it's this other option because it says here, uh, baptizing in Holy Spirit and fire. Then he says this, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn. This is verse 12. And burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That winnowing fork was a tool used by farmers to make a separation on their threshing floor. The threshing floor was, they gathered all the wheat from the field and they throw it there on the floor. And then this winnowing fork, what they would do is they would pick the wheat up and move it into a pile and the chaff would kind of, it's, it's lighter and it would float in the air. And they would separate it that way and they would burn all the chaff because it's useless. So I think when John's saying he comes and he baptizes in spirit and fire, I think what he's saying, that and is not an or. I'm sorry, let me back that. I said that wrong. That and <laughs> might be more like an or, right? That the, it, the and is saying it's these two things and which one are we going to be immersed into? That you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit or like chaff, like chaff, we get burned away where there is no life because there is no 
use. And that's a really hard thing to hear. But remember, John was just right before that, very, very harsh with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders who came down and felt like they had earned their way to God, like they had made themselves holy enough. And what he was teaching is, no, no, you need to turn away from trusting in yourself, turn away from trusting in your own kingdom, turn away from trusting in the ways of the world around us and turn toward the kingdom of heaven, turn toward the kingdom of God. And Jesus is coming to make a clear distinction between the two. Okay, that is, it is this or that. That you can be immersed into the kingdom of heaven and filled with the Holy Spirit. Or you could be immersed in kingdoms of this world, the kingdom that you create and build up for your own heart and destruction will come with that. But Jesus's desire is that all would enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is the invitation he has given to all of us. Hey, turn away from that and come to me. All who are weary, all who are tired from running the race in this system here, come into my rest, come into my ways, into my kingdom. And all that's really good. And I think we can understand that part, but then why in the world is Jesus entering into the system and kingdom of humanity, it seems like, right? Like he, why is he born a human infant, frail and weak and needy? Why then does he step his foot into the Jordan River and tell John, yes, I do need to be baptized by you? John's question is a very valid question. Why in the world would I baptize you? I'm the one who needs to be cleaned. Jesus had no sin. Jesus never once rebelled against the Father. Jesus, if we believe what the scriptures say about him and who it says he is, he is God himself in human form. He is the son of God come to rescue humanity. And the way that he does that is by living a perfect, sinless, spotless life. And in other examples of the gospel, other accounts of it, not in Matthew, when it tells this story, John says, look, the lamb of God, as Jesus walks down to the Jordan, the lamb of God who comes to take away our sin. And the Hebrew culture around them would have known what that means is, it would have taken them back to when God told them to sacrifice a lamb as they were leaving out of Egypt. And that lamb had to be pure and spotless without any blemish, without any defect. He's saying this Jesus is pure and spotless. Why in the world would he need to come and be cleansed, to be washed? And Jesus' response is, this must take place to fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness is this right standing with God, right? It's, it's being reconciled to, being made right with the creator of all things. Jesus did not say this needs to be done for my righteousness so that I could be made righteous because he already was. Jesus's answer is this needs to take place to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus is making a claim right there as the king of heaven and earth 
ushering in his kingdom, he's saying, this is happening so that my mission of restoring all things and making all things right in my creation can take place. And it's key here because one of the the most important aspects of his creation that had been broken and marred and blemished that needed to be washed and cleansed was the creature that was made in his own image, humanity. And so how does God come and bring humanity back to what they were meant to be? He does it by becoming a human. The answer to the question, why did Jesus need to be baptized, is the same answer to the question, why did Jesus need to be born as a human baby? He was completely identifying himself as human. He was immersing himself into humanity. He was marinating in it. He was putting it on, wearing the flesh. Jesus, God himself, creator of all things, who we read this morning in John 1, as we started our call to worship, that through him all things were made. Without him, nothing that exists has been made. That's God, right? And that's who Jesus is. That that God fully immersed himself into the identity of being human by being born a helpless, frail baby and by stepping into the Jordan River to be washed for the sins of humanity. And this is not super foreign to the story of the Bible. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, you would have examples of leaders of Israel who would pray, prayers asking for forgiveness, and they would pray it for themselves and for all of Israel. And they would include themselves in the sins of Israel, even the ones that they weren't individually partaking in. It was a communal identification with, I am one of these Israelites and we as a people have rebelled against you, God. And so in a similar way, but on a much deeper level, Jesus is taking on that identity of humanity. Now think about this reality. What is the water like that Jesus just stepped into? Symbolically, we know that John had been calling all these people to come and wash their sins off in the water. Have you ever stepped into a bathtub with water that somebody had just used? No, you wouldn't do that, right? It's nasty. It's terrible. I'll tell you, one time when I was a kid, we didn't have hot water. My mom boiled some water and filled the bathtub and she expected that we would share the bath water. And so you get into that bath water after your sibling just got out of it. And the dirt that just washed off of their body, you step into it, and what does it do? It gets onto your body. Jesus is stepping into the water that humanity's sins had just been washed away with. And he's stepping into that dirty water and he's taking on the sin of humanity. He's taking on the dirt that we have accumulated on ourselves. Jesus is fully identifying himself with you and I. Fully human. And yet in that moment, 
the sky cracks open. The spirit hovers over the waters, just like the spirit in Genesis tells us hovered over the waters of creation. And the voice of God the Father speaks over Jesus. This is my beloved son who I'm very pleased with. While Jesus is immersing himself in the identity of sinful humanity, the father is affirming his identity as being the son of God simultaneously. So now, though he is immersed in the dirt of humanity, he also has the ability to wash it away like no other human could, being both fully man and fully God. This identity spoken over him is what then allows him as he's led into the wilderness. And by the way, he wasn't led into the wilderness by Satan. He wasn't led into the wilderness by just like pure pressure or anyone around him, right? It wasn't a custom people went and did after being baptized. The text tells us the spirit led him into the wilderness. That as he goes into the wilderness, it is that identity that he carries with him to do battle against the tempter. And he spends 40 days, and I love that it says, you know, he didn't eat for 40 days, and after that, he was hungry. Like, yeah, of course, right? He's hungry, he's tired. Why? Because he's human. And he spends 40 days in the wilderness, just like Israel spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Remember, he's fully identifying with Israel and with humanity. And yet, he's there with the full power of God. And this accuser, Satan, shows up and starts tempting him. And what's the first thing he asks him? What's the first thing he says in his temptation? It's in chapter four, and it's in verse three. The tempter came and said to him, what? If you are the son of God, what is he questioning? His identity, right? If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Like you're hungry, you, you, you need some food, right? If you truly are the son of God, how many of you have felt like at times in your life, like you question who you are? You question your identity or you wonder if who you are maybe is enough. This is the same trick that he's been using since the beginning of the world. When he comes to the humans in the garden, he, he makes them doubt who God made them to be. Listen, God knows that if you eat from this tree, you will become like him. But what, what are we told God makes them in the image of? Himself, right? But he attacks their identity. Are you really a child of God? Are you really a son or a daughter? Do you really reflect and bear the image of the God who is good and who is powerful and who has created all things? And he tries that same trick with Jesus himself. What a fool, right? He tries that same trick in Jesus, knowing fully who he is, carrying both the identity of humanity and also 
the identity of divinity, of being God himself, Jesus overcomes. Jesus speaks truth to the lies. Jesus is able to have discipline over his body when his body is screaming, get some food. He's able to have discipline over the desires of his flesh because he knows what's true and he knows what's better. And he knows what is eternal. And rather than like, uh, was it Esau who, who sells his birthright, right? For a bowl of Sioux in that moment, Jesus becomes the better son right there. And he doesn't give away his birthright to get a little bit of food. He doesn't, listen, that that sounds ridiculous to us, but how often do we forget about the eternal to enjoy a moment, a momentary desire? Don't we do that? And Jesus overcomes all that. And it's through the identity that he knows for a fact the father just spoke over him. Now, here's the thing. Just as Jesus was immersed into the identity of humanity as he bathed in the dirty water of the Jordan River, he then calls his disciples at the end of this letter, at the end of this book of Matthew, he calls his disciples, his followers, to go and make disciples of all nations and to what? Baptize, immerse them into, listen to this identity, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them all that I have commanded you to do. He sends his people out saying, now you can be fully identified with me. And yes, we do like water baptisms here, right? But what that's showing us is it's telling the story of a deeper reality, a deeper reality that we are now immersed into the identity of, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As you become part of a community of believers that is literally called the body of Christ, you are immersed into the body of Christ. And as you learn that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, that if you see him, you see the Father, you are immersed into the identity of the Father. And as you learn that Jesus did all things through the power of the Spirit of God, you cannot separate these three, Father, Son, Spirit. He did all things through the power of the Spirit. He is born into this world by the Spirit. He overcame sin as he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It was the Spirit's power that overcame temptation. And he was raised from the grave in the power of the Spirit that you and I too, in the body of Christ, get to be filled with the power of the Spirit. This is what immersion is. It's not some mystical thing that happens and it's not a very physical thing that the elders do to you. As Jesus gives that mission though, the co-mission, like come and do this with me to his followers, he says, I want you to immerse them into this identity, teaching them all that I have taught you. It comes through hearing and receiving the word and being part of a community who is filled with that spirit. This is how this immersion begins to take place. And just like John last week, we heard told those Pharisees and and Sadducees, the religious leaders, hey, you need to bear fruit that shows with keeping with repentance. Just as Jesus said, I want you to die daily to your fleshly desires. That we continue habitually, rhythmically living in 
the body of Christ, living in the word of God, living in communion with spirit as we are in prayer and worship so that we continue being immersed. Not like wrestling season that ends and then I'll give you guys more stories later, but that we continue living immersed in this identity of father, son, spirit so that when the father looks at you, he also says, this is my beloved child who I love and I'm pleased with. Now, a couple years ago, we did a all Missio gathering and we had all of the Missio congregations come together and worship together. And uh, there was a guy, one of the other elders at the time, Nick Barker, who was preaching. And he said the statement I just stated right now, that if you are in Christ, when the father looks at you, he also says, this is my beloved child who I am very pleased with. And we had a, a new person around Missio Phoenix at the time who while people were going to the communion table, instead made a beeline straight toward Nick and went right up to him, looked him in the eye and said, you just spoke heresy. He was livid because he said, you don't get to say that about us. Those words were spoken to Jesus, not us. And I understand his heart, I think, and I hope and I pray, was to say, like, don't put us on the same level as Jesus. Like, I get that. And to say like, Jesus is holy and he is God and we're not because we're sinners. But my heart broke for him because he didn't understand the very message of the kingdom of God Jesus came to preach. He didn't understand the good news that all throughout the New Testament after this, Paul, Peter, they use words like you are clothed in Christ. What does that mean? Covered in, immersed in. You are in Jesus. You, just like Jesus, came out of that Jordan carrying the sins of humanity. We enter into Jesus and we carry the righteousness. Jesus said, I'm doing this to fulfill all righteousness. If you are in Christ, you stand before the Father in the righteousness of Jesus. And he absolutely looks at you and he sees his perfect son. Not because you're perfect. And not because he's just fine with any time you rebel against him. No, 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 no. Keep immersing yourself in the righteousness of Jesus. Keep immersing yourself in a body of believers who will call you to repentance. Keep immersing yourself in the word of God. Keep immersing yourself in communion with the spirit, right? So that more and more we look like Jesus. But... Jesus' work is what covers you if you're in him. And he says, this is my child who I love and I'm pleased with. And that is the message of the kingdom of heaven. That is the message, the good news that Jesus came to preach. And I desperately want all of us to see and know that more and more every day. And that's why when we do a baptism, we don't just dunk people in water only. But we take people through a process of helping to immerse them in the story of God and immerse them in the reality of who Jesus is. And so on Easter, we're gonna do baptisms again like we do every Easter. And we could do them any other time in the year too, but we always do them on Easter. God always seems to provide people who want to be immersed in him on that day. But we don't just wait till Easter to do that. We have tools that help us through that. 
And this is not a replacement of this, right? But if anyone is thinking about baptism, this helps us see the story of being immersed in Christ throughout the story of scripture. And that you take these together as tools where you walk someone through that. So those books are always available at that back table throughout the whole year. That we walk people through it because we're not just immersing them in water, we're immersing them in the body of Christ. Would you pray with me that we would see more people become immersed in the body of Christ this year, become immersed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that God would actually use ordinary people like you and I to do that. Because the other option is, with his winnowing fork, you could be immersed in Father, Son, and Spirit, or you could be immersed in destruction. And I don't want that for anybody. And listen, the Father does not want that for anybody. And so whoever might be on your heart right now, friends, family members, coworkers, neighbors, classmates, maybe it's yourself sitting in this room. My prayer is that the Spirit would call and draw you in and also that the Spirit would send you out as he goes with you to be someone who would call, just like John's voice calling to repentance, call people to come and be immersed in who Jesus is.